absolutely need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Dave Debo. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. In the suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. And this is Dave Debo. Today on the program, we focus primarily on yesterday's court proceedings and the sentencing of the top shooter. Peyton Gendron pleaded guilty to murdering 10 black people, targeting a segregated neighborhood with the stated goal of killing black people there. And in almost every discussion around the events of May 14th, a couple things stand out, things that actually stood out in the courtroom yesterday. The horror that was outlined in all those family stories that came forward. Impact statements from families that lost loved ones. Um, the other two issues I think that certainly dominate this show are things that were also evident during that court proceeding. The idea of human dignity, the idea of systemic racism, uh, humanity. That when, If you know someone as a person, it's harder to ignore their worth no matter what their skin color and then the idea of systemic racism, why, why the society is the way it is, how that impacted the events of May 14th. Later in the program, we'll be joined by Erie County District Attorney John Flynn. But I can think of no better way to encapsulate those two items, the humanity and the systemic racism and the need for change, than listening once again to the sentencing remarks given yesterday in court by Judge Susan Egan. I would like to thank you all for being here and to thank those of you who have shared your thoughts and feelings with the courts, either in writing or in open court here today. It is very meaningful to me, and I believe that it is important for the defendant and the world to hear what you have to say. I am very sorry for your losses and the pain that you feel. I would like to recognize the heroic officers of the Buffalo Police Department, who without hesitation ran towards the danger of an active shooter call, swiftly and professionally stopping and containing the defendant and putting an end to his evil rampage. Thank you. I spent a lot of time thinking about this case. Our community, our nation, how we got here, and where we go from here. It all comes down to character and having the strength to stand up for what is right. Our character is not defined by the good and easy times. It is defined by the hard and challenging times. And often, our character is revealed not necessarily by what we say, but by what we do. I am both immensely proud of and grateful for the way Buffalo has rejected the evil and hate that was inflicted on our community. 
the character of good people throughout this city, county, state, nation, and even internationally has shown through as they have stood with the victims of this heinous and cruel act. This indictment speaks to the 13 victims and their families that lost the most, but they are not the only victims. There are thousands that have been traumatized directly and vicariously by this defendant's actions. We have seen the community turn out in support and are seeing signs of much needed change in East Buffalo. It is a testament to the power of love and compassion to overcome evil and hate by turning pain into purpose. But it is just the beginning. We have a long way to go. This hateful act and other similar hateful acts across the country, motivated by white supremacy and replacement theory, are a reckoning for us as a nation. The ugly truth is that our nation was founded and built in part on white supremacy, starting with the treatment of Native Americans by the first European settlers, to the cruel, inhumane, economic engine, nation-building practice of slavery, to indentured servitude, to Jim Crow laws, to government policies creating segregated public housing with communities of color often placed in environmentally hazardous locations, to the manner in which expressways were built, dividing urban neighborhoods to create easy access to government-subsidized developments in the suburbs with restricted covenants prohibiting the sale of suburban homes to African Americans, to redlining practices in communities of color, further devaluing those neighborhoods, to the GI Bill, a well-deserved financial boon to our servicemen, unless, of course, you were a serviceman of color, to the war on drugs and mass incarceration, disproportionately of men of color, to the school-to-prison pipeline, to inequities in education, employment opportunities, and compensation, to the existence of food deserts and inadequacies in healthcare. Our history is replete with both individual and systemic discriminatory practices, many of them still firmly in place today. In fact, it is these very policies and practices that contributed to and made this atrocity possible. The effects of these policies, some current, 
and others decades and centuries old, created the segregation in our city and enabled this defendant to research and identify his target to maximize the impact of his evil intent. All of these policies and systems, either sponsored or tolerated by the government and implemented by individuals, were designed to destroy the very fabric of family life, opportunities for success, the creation of generational wealth, and even the mere existence of hope in communities of color. The harsh reality is that white supremacy has been an insidious cancer on our society and nation since its inception. And it undermines the notions of a meritocracy and the land of opportunity that we hold so dear. However, white supremacy is not inevitable or unstoppable. It has been carefully cultivated and nurtured by individuals and the government for centuries. This is the history that we have all inherited. It has been passed down from generation to generation. We must acknowledge that history. See that history for what it is. Recognize it and learn from it, or we are doomed to repeat it. Let ours be the generation to put a stop to it. We can do better. We must do better. Our own humanity requires it. As an individual, we must call out injustice in our daily lives when we see it. We must reject racism in all of its forms. We must be conscious of the power of our words and actions and the impact they have on those around us, both intended and unintended. We must demand better of our public servants in their efforts to address inequity. And we must embrace government policies aimed at creating and fostering diversity, equity, and inclusion. We must make the outpouring of support, love, and compassion that followed this heinous act an everyday practice. We are stronger together. These are hard and challenging times. Our characters are being tested. The future of our nation is at stake. Are we up to the challenge? I believe that we are. In the words of Poet Laureate Amanda Gorman, there is always light if only we are brave enough to see it. If only we are brave enough to be it. Mr. Gendron, please stand.
There is no place for you or your ignorant, hateful, and evil ideologies in a civilized society. There can be no mercy for you, no understanding, no second chances. The damage you have caused is too great, and the people you have hurt are too valuable to this community. You will never see the light of day as a free man ever again. It is the judgment of this court for your conviction under the first count of the indictment, a domestic act of terrorism motivated by hate in the first degree, an A1 felony, that you be sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. Under the second count of the indictment, murder in the first degree, for the murder of Roberta Drury, a vibrant 32-year-old young woman, a daughter, a dedicated sister, and friend, I am imposing a sentence of life imprisonment without parole. Under the third count of the indictment, murder in the first degree, for the murder of 67-year-old Hayward Patterson, a son father, and friend. Known as a faithful, hard-working, generous, well-dressed man, I am imposing a sentence of life imprisonment without parole. Under the fourth count of the indictment, murder in the first degree, for the murder of 77-year-old Pearl Young, a daughter, mother, grandmother, and friend. Known for being a loving, dedicated substitute teacher, I am imposing a sentence of life imprisonment without parole. Under the fifth count of the indictment, murder in the first degree, for the murder of 86-year-old Ruth Whitfield, a daughter, sister, wife, mother and grandmother, a dedicated caretaker, an avid fisherwoman, and a valued member of her church community. I am imposing a sentence of life imprisonment without parole. Under the sixth count of the indictment, murder in the first degree, for the murder of Celestine Cheney, a daughter, sister, mother, aunt, grandmother, and friend. A fighter who at 65 had beat cancer and multiple aneurysms. A person who enjoyed life and laughed easily. I am imposing a sentence of life imprisonment without parole. Under the seventh count of the indictment, murder in the first degree, for the murder of Aaron Salter, age 55, a son, brother, husband, and father, a car guy, a lover of camping, a retired Buffalo police officer, heroic and selfless to the very end. I am imposing a sentence of life imprisonment without parole.
under the eighth count of the indictment. Murder in the first degree. For the murder of 53-year-old Andre McNeil. A son, brother, uncle, father, and fiancé. Devoted Miami Heat fan. Survived by a three-year-old son. I am imposing a sentence of life imprisonment without parole. Under the ninth count of the indictment, murder in the first degree. For the murder of Margus Morrison, age 52. A son, brother, husband, and father. He loved music and sneakers. I am imposing a sentence of life imprisonment without parole. Under the 10th count of the indictment, murder in the first degree. For the murder of 72-year-old Catherine Massey. Cat. A daughter, sister, aunt, and friend. An activist known for her sincerity, thoughtfulness, and honesty. I am imposing a sentence of life imprisonment without parole. Under the 11th count of the indictment, murder in the first degree, for the murder of Geraldine Talley, age 62, a daughter, mother, and aunt, the life of the party, and a top-notch baker. I am imposing a sentence of life imprisonment without parole. By operation of law, the sentences on counts 2 through 11 must run concurrently with the sentence imposed on the first count. Under the remaining counts of the indictment to which you pled, the law permits me, based on your age, to consider granting you youthful offender status. The purpose of youthful offender status under the law is to prevent the stigmatization of young offenders based on hasty and thoughtless acts and to provide them a fresh start and a renewed opportunity to be a law-abiding productive member of society. However, given the manner in which you methodically planned, researched, conducted recognizance, and executed your hateful crimes. A finding of youthful offender status is not appropriate. There has was nothing hasty or thoughtless about your conduct. There are no mitigating factors to be considered. You will be sentenced as an adult on the remaining counts. Under the 22nd count of the indictment, attempted murder in the first degree, for the attempted murder of 20-year-old Zaire Goodman, a beloved son, a hardworking young man of character, I am imposing the maximum determinant sentence of 25 years, followed by five years of post-release supervision. I direct this sentence to run consecutively to all other sentences imposed. Under the 23rd count of the indictment, attempted murder in the first degree for the attempted murder of 55-year-old Christopher Braden, a son, father, 
husband and friend, a professional serving the needs of the good people of the city of Buffalo. I am imposing the maximum determinant sentence of 25 years, followed by five years of post-release supervision. I direct this sentence to run consecutively to all other sentences imposed. Under the 24th count of the indictment, attempted murder in the first degree for the attempted murder of Jennifer Warrington, age 50, daughter, mother, wife, friend, a professional serving the needs of the good people of the city of Buffalo. I am imposing the maximum determinant sentence of 25 years, followed by five years of post-release supervision. I direct the sentence to run consecutively to all other sentences imposed. Under the 25th count of the indictment, criminal possession of a weapon in the second degree, I am imposing the maximum determinant sentence of 15 years followed by five years of post-release supervision. I direct this sentence to run consecutively to all other sentences imposed. I am assessing the mandatory surcharge of $300, the crime victim assistance fee of $25, and a DNA fee of $50. You have 30 days to appeal the sentence of this court. This concludes these proceedings, and the court will stand in recess. The words of Erie County Court Judge Susan Egan as she sentenced Peyton Gendron yesterday in the top shooting. When we return, we'll talk about all of this and more with Erie County District Attorney John Flynn. Stay with us. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. Are you looking for a rewarding career in public media? Visit WNED.org careers to learn more about becoming a part of a talented team dedicated to making a difference in our communities. Employees at Buffalo Toronto Public Media enjoy a variety of outstanding benefits. We are located in downtown Buffalo, and we have free parking. We are focused on inclusivity and belonging. Come as you are and apply today. Visit WNED.org careers. Do you absolutely love Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, PBS NewsHour, great performances, and other amazing shows on WNED-PBS? But you're not always in front of your TV when they're on. Don't miss them. You can stream the channel live wherever you are in Western New York by visiting WNED.org live or use the WNED-PBS app. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And this is Dave Debo. We are continuing to talk about and examine the sentencing of the top shooter yesterday. You heard the remarks earlier of Judge Susan Egan. Now let's bring in Erie County District Attorney John Flynn for the balance of the program. John, thanks for being here. Thanks, Dave. What was your reaction to her remarks? Because 
I've heard other sentencing where they just can pronounce sentence without that kind of setup, without that kind of uh, backstory, without that kind of information on each of the victims. This was stunning and different, wasn't it? Absolutely, Dave. Uh, I would say that 99.9% of all criminal sentences uh, are just basically, you know, a, a short sentence or a short paragraph and then impose the sentence. Uh, obviously, th- this was a different case. Uh, obviously, this case has ramifications uh, that spiral into our community and into uh, different areas outside of the courtroom. Um, and so I thought that she did an excellent job. I, uh, I applaud her for her remarks. Um, and I'm, I was actually a little bit surprised that, that she took the opportunity to do that. In her remarks, she did say something about how we must put a stop to this kind of behavior. You would argue that here in Erie County, perhaps we have. Certainly. I, uh, <clears throat> when, 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 the, when the term systemic racism is, is said and I'll, I'll put that term into the criminal justice system here in Buffalo. Yeah. Um, you, that, that, you have to remember that all systems don't operate by themselves. S- systems operate by people. And, you know, the people that we have in charge of the criminal justice system, uh, I firmly believe are up to the task and are addressing these issues. I mean, just just take, I mean, take for example, I mean, just, just look at the people in charge. So <clears throat> Judge Egan is the supervising judge of the criminal courts here in Erie County. All right. So she's in charge of all the criminal courts here in Erie County. All right. And you saw the character of her yesterday. You have an African-American female and Judge Pridgen who's in charge of Buffalo City Court. Before her was Judge Craig Hanna, another African-American male, again, in charge of Buffalo City Court. You have the mayor of Buffalo, who was in charge of the Buffalo Police Department, African-American. The head judge here in Buffalo of, of the entire court system, Judge Carter, is African-American. Uh, and then you have myself, who is the chief law enforcement officer here in Erie County. So... The, the criminal justice system, in essence, I'm in charge of, and without yeah. being too dramatic here. I mean, you know, so, you know, you have the people in place here to stand up to what's wrong, and we are doing that. In light of all of that, can you argue that there have never been, and, and I realize I'm asking the question in such an absolute way, um, that there have never been cases where people of color were treated wrongly? By the criminal justice system. Oh well, there certainly has because I, I am in my in my tenure as district attorney, uh, I have uh, I have dismissed four four or five cases. I believe it's five now. Five cases um, with my uh, conviction integrity unit, where um, we have let individuals who were in jail out of jail, and all of them were African American. So there, there's no doubt uh, that um, you know. That that wrongs have been done, and we just need to do what we can to right them and make sure going forward that we don't repeat the mistakes. I see a dichotomy, though. You say that there are well-intentioned people of color throughout the system, 
and yet the kind of incidents you just spoke of happen. Uh, does that mean there's no intent, but every now and then things just screw up? Well, I, I would say that the, the the individuals who are in charge of the system now, okay, um, uh, you know, t- t- you know the, the the names that I mentioned, including myself. Sure. You know, we we we've been around for you know, you know, the last four, five or six years now. Okay, uh, I, you know, I I I'm gonna say that if 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 there is anyone um, who is incarcerated uh, who did not commit the crime, if anyone was wrongly convicted by by this system, okay. Um, you know, that, then, then, then I, I majorly messed up, obviously. Um, I'm hopeful that there has been none. Uh, you know, and again, we work each and every day to ensure that uh, no one is wrongfully convicted um, and no one is treated unfairly. I mean, I, I, I firmly believe, as do all the names I mentioned, that it is much worse for an innocent person to go to prison than it is for a guilty man to go free. And I believe that all of us in charge of the system now here in Buffalo firmly believe that. All right. So that's the criminal justice system. In your remarks yesterday after the sentencing, uh, you spoke about some of the broader issues, the idea that there are still things that need to be done. Let's hear that. Where do we go as a community? Where do we go as a city? Where do we go in terms of the legal system and the criminal justice system? These are questions that we need to answer. What happened today, though, what happened throughout the prosecution of this case is still important. I would say that justice was done with a small J today, but we still have a big J of justice to do. Define the capital J. Let's start with white supremacy. What, what White supremacy uh, is a problem. Uh, hate crimes are a problem. We saw during COVID uh, an increase in hate crimes against African Americans uh, and against Asian Americans. Uh, we saw a increase uh, in uh, hate crimes against uh, Jewish people. Uh, I, I have a, a couple cases of anti-Semitism that I'm prosecuting as a hate crime. Uh, I've had numerous cases of of African American hate crime cases that I'm prosecuting, um, and and it's not just here in Buffalo, Dave. I mean, as as a president of the National DA's Association, which I am right now, um, I, I see it all across the country, and so we as a society need to address these issues of white supremacy and hate crimes. Uh, that are occurring uh, in, in, our, in, our, in our community. And the attorneys representing many of the family members argue the way to do that is target things other than the patent genderings. Look at social media. Look at uh, guns. Where do you stand there? Correct. So, the you know, I, I, I said yesterday, you know, kind of the big picture, where do we go going forward now? The, the, the immediate concern right now uh, for the families uh, are the civil suits that they're bringing mm-hmm. obviously the, the federal case is going on i'm not i'm not dismissing that but but put put it putting that aside uh, let's talk about that just yeah, for a brief yeah. second even if this is not a death penalty case at the federal level it looks as if there's no doubt that he's guilty because the state guilty admission uh is is 
automatically part right, of the federal. Right. He he's going to jail for the rest of his life. So he, he that that that's a given. All right, he he's going to jail for the rest of his life. He's never getting out. There's no parole. There's no probation. Uh, there's no there's no review at all by anyone. I mean, it, yeah. it, it is done. This will happen. It is done. Okay, yeah, okay. correct. So yes, yeah. so putting the federal case aside. Uh, which will decide a death penalty, you know, in, in essence. Uh, you know, the, the immediate concern for families are, you know, th- their civil suits going forward. And, and, and again, you know, you know, what, right now I, I, I have committed um, to, to them that I'm going to do whatever I can to help them out. Uh, obviously, you know, with, 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 the, with the federal case going on right now, there's a, there's a protective order in place by the federal judge where we cannot, you know, give their lawyers any any information right now and any paperwork, any discovery, you know, any of the investigation. By their lawyers, you mean family members? Correct. That's right. Correct. So, 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 so that the federal prosecution and you automatically cooperate because of the nature of who you all are. Correct. We, okay. We, correct. We, yeah, we cooperate together. Absolutely. We cooperate together for in terms of the prosecution, all right, but in terms of turning that information over to the attorneys for the families for their civil suits, right now we are under a protective order by a judge to say we can't do that. And you want that lifted? Well, yes. Um, now, again, obviously I, I want to respect the federal case, though, and I don't want to do anything to hurt their case, obviously, because you know that their, their case is just as important as my case. Um, but I, I believe that there are ways to... Um, perhaps work around it in the sense that, you know, think outside the box where, you know, you could have a protective order against the attorneys. So, you know, all, all these families are represented by great attorneys, uh, some of the best in Buffalo, you know, John Elmore, uh, Terry Connors, and then, uh, you know, uh, uh, John Froman is, you know, one of the best attorneys here in here in uh, Erie County and, and all of New York State, quite frankly. And so, you know, you, you have capable lawyers representing the families, but, but again, they need the information for their civil suits. And so, you know, if you formulated a protective order that kind of gave them the information, but preventing them from dis, uh, uh, disseminating it, that may be a way around this. If you're under a protective order, you might not be able to answer this question, and you're smart enough to tell me that that's the case. Is there stuff in there that you're aware of that speaks directly to the social media instigating factor? Yes. Absolutely, there is. There's. Uh, I can speak to my evidence. I mean, because my case is done. There, there, there is. There is definitely information in his manifesto um, and in in and in his other writings. All right, which talk about uh, where he got his hatred from. Uh, so yeah, there, there's definitely relevant information in the evidentiary materials that will help the families. And and that's again, my my. I I, I want to continue to help the families. Do you think that that sort of information, though, um, can be actually used against the social media companies? I, I have a rough analogy here. Um, all the rioters in the Capitol certainly rioted in the Capitol, but it was harder to prove that they were instigated by an outside factor, perhaps like tre- President Trump. Similarly, um, we can look at all the things that the top shooter did. But is there something that can say he was motivated by the social media rather than just a consumer of the social media? Well, you have to your analogy is is relevant here. But remember, though, Dave, the 
the the the investigations that are occurring now about the Capitol are all criminal investigations. All right, so it's much more difficult, if not impossible, to translate that into a criminal ah. prosecution of someone. All right, we're talking civil here. All right, so so I mean, all that it, needs it, be uh, it's a different it's a different standard of proof. All that needs to be exposed is some liability. Correct, and Correct. you can get around the freedom of speech arguments if you say that uh, that the social media is a defective product, just like a car that crashes or a, a defective drug. Or negligent. Oh, okay. It's a negligent theory as well. You know, the, 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 the theory that, you know, your, your behavior, your policies, whatever they may be, that was recklessly negligent um, to the victims of this case. Bring in the idea of the gun manufacturer or the body armor. Same concept. Really? Same concept. Okay. Same same concept. Again, there, there's no, um, you know, you, you can't criminally reach that level, all right? Um, uh, but you certainly can make the argument uh, from a civil context where, you know, your conduct, and again, I, you know, I'm not an, I'm not an expert. I know I, I, I haven't dug deep into the, to the actual nature of this right here, but, but there, you know, there are, there are attorneys out there who have brought lawsuits before against gun manufacturing companies uh, on the civil end of it, um, who have argued that, that their action is negligent. The attorneys that want to bring this forward this time have said that not only is it justice for the families, but there is a societal obligation. The idea that we need to stop the next Uvalde, that we need to end up trying to nip the systemic racism in the bud by holding these people accountable. To what degree does a trial and a proceeding, be it civil or, or the one we just went through, the criminal, um, put that sort of racism on display? There's always a tangential uh, element to any any proceeding or any trial. Some tangential matters are greater than others. Um, you know, the simple, listen here, you know, the the simple DWI case uh, that occurs where, you know, it's the, you know, the people of the state of New York versus John Doe, who was just driving drunk, all right? Even, which is a misdemeanor, all right? Even something as simple as that misdemeanor has tangential ramifications about we want to prevent the bigger picture of stopping people from driving drunk on our roads. All right, we want to keep our our roads and our highways safe. So there, 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 there there's a bigger element in any proceeding. This obviously elevates it further. Okay, where we have you know guns, we have social media, we have white supremacy. You know that there are there are a ton of tangential factors that are relevant in this prosecution. So in that regard, all those family impact statements yesterday, as emotional as they were. Some of them were hate-filled. Some of them were tearful. As emotional as they all were, that is part of the process of spotlighting the racism, no? Absolutely, it is. It's part of the, pro- it's part of the process of, of for, first and foremost, it's part of the process of, of the proceedings. All right? You've got you to remember that, you know, f- you know, first and foremost here, we, we have a criminal matter, all right? We have the people of the state of New York versus Peyton Jenner, all right? You know, it's a, it's a codified... Um, you know, narrow indictment on on his actions on May 14th of 2022. The spillover, though, is obviously the impact 
to the family members, the victims, and the community. And so as part of the proceeding, the victims at sentencing get an opportunity to tell the court how this crime has impacted their lives. Now, the main purpose of that is for the judge to articulate and give a a sentence. All right, that's the main main goal of it. In this case here, Dave, the sentence was a foregone conclusion. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so there, I mean, the, the sentence was, the, I, I dictated the sentence months ago when I said, you got two choices here. You can plead guilty to all the charges or you can go to trial. Okay. And so, you know, he, you know, the, the, the sentence was dictated two months ago. Um, but so the purpose of, of, of the victim impact statements now was not just for narrowly for sentencing purposes, it was to expose all the things that came out of what happened yesterday. Because if he went to trial, those things would have been exposed as part of the court proceeding. Absolutely, the, the evidence, his manifesto that he that that, that he uh, prepared. He also prepared a second document um, uh, as well. That would have all came in, uh, and, and you know, and, and so his his motive uh, in, in this case normally. In a murder trial, I don't need motive. Now, a lot of your listeners may find that you know surprising because you know you always see on Law and Order and TV Means shows motive and opportunity. Yeah, yeah, motive. Right, yeah, right. No, Perry in, Mason. <laughs> yeah, in a murder trial, I don't need motive. All right. Um, in this particular case, though, I was charging an additional charge beside the murder. I was charging a domestic terrorism charge motivated by hate. hate. So I needed a motive if I went to trial. Um, and therefore, all that would have came out. Elaborate on his racist intent during the guilty plea, during the apology that was offered yesterday during sentencing. He confessed to racism. He said, I killed these people because they are black. No doubt about it. No, he, he did that. Um, well, first of all, <clears throat> he, he did it. By his actions on May 14th. I mean, he live-streamed the event. For you, he didn't need to say it. Correct. His, his, okay. His, his, act, his, his actions, well, he needed to say it as far as a guilty plea from a technical standpoint, all right? But, again, I I, I knew what his, what, what his intent was. But, but just look at the facts of the case. His actions spoke louder than his words, quite frankly. And, and his words yesterday, to me, were meaningless. All right? I was going to go there. Yeah, I mean, his, his words were meaningless, all right? Um, so his actions on, on, on May 14th, uh, you know, that, that, that spoke volumes. His, um, you know, the evidence that we gathered about his pre-May 14th conduct, conduct spoke volumes. He admitted it on May, you know, uh, two months ago, we did May 14th. And then yesterday, yeah, he gave, he gave a, 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 in my opinion, a half-hearted apology because, like I said before, um, all he's trying to do is save his life in federal court. Does the fact that his racism was admitted or even exposed, either one, mm-hmm. Does that have a broader ripple in society, or is this just another case that months from now people in Peoria, Illinois, won't give a damn about? Well, I, I hope that they, they 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 don't forget about it. I I hope that this case sends a message. Uh, I I hope it sends a message that anyone out there who is a white supremacist who is thinking about committing any act of violence against another human being because of their race, creed, color, or sexual orientation, whatever it may be, uh, if you 
if you have those feelings and you have that in your heart, as dark as your heart may be, uh, my advice is keep it in your dark heart, all right? Because if you, if you do an action and you take it a step further and commit harm to another human being in Erie County, you are going to jail, but as long as I'm here. <laughs> if, if someone has that darkness in their heart and they're purchasing the gun and making all the plans that he made, do you think that somewhere along the line, and I'm, I'm asking this a little mm-hmm. bit rhetorically, gee, before I pull that trigger, I better wait because John Flynn says I might have a bad consequence. If that evil is in their heart, it's there. It's going to manifest itself whether or not punishment uh, exists. I don't think the punishment is part of the thought process before the evil intent. In some people, it is. <clears throat> really? Yeah. In some people, it is. In, 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 I'm not naive to believe that, yeah, hey, you know, John Flynn. I would pull this trigger, but John Flynn's going to yeah, get yeah, me, yeah, so yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I won't. I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not naive in that regard. <laughs> but, Good. But, but, I, um, but I do believe uh, that people, uh, you know, some individuals uh, do actually think about the consequences of their action and do recognize that, you know what, I'd rather be sitting here on my inter- on the internet reading all this hateful material than being behind bars the rest of my life. Um, I, I do believe that there, I do believe that deterrency is a, is a factor in the criminal justice system. If I didn't, then, you know, I'm, I'm wasting my time, I guess. And in your remarks yesterday, I know you said you want to stay in your own lane and not, not uh, comment on the federal proceeding. But the argument that could be made for the death penalty would be just that, that we as a society need to say certain things are beyond the line. You deserve to die for this. Yes, that, 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 is, that is an argument um, uh, for the death penalty. Uh, there are others that are, you know, that are, that, that are on the other side, obviously, but, but that, that is certainly an argument for the death penalty. What ripples do you see from this case if indeed cases like this create a deterrent effect? Well, again— Hopefully, we never see anything of this magnitude. Uh, but you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I tried a a, uh, a hate crime case a few years ago where an individual got out of a car in a in a car accident and basically, you know, menaced an African American woman uh, because I believe the color of her skin. Um, and and so you know, I, I think the fact that these cases are prosecuted. Uh, you know, has some deterrent factor. I, I really do believe that. And the ripple effect is obviously is that, you know, all levels of society and all levels of this community, um, you know, and the people who are in power, uh, who I work with every day, are, are committed to fighting this. And, and when you have committed people out there in positions of power who are committed to fighting this, the enemy needs to know that, and you, that, that has a ripple effect. You obviously are a criminal prosecutor, but to what degree can the societal problems, the systemic racism that Judge Egan pointed out in her sentencing remarks, to what degree can the legal system address that? And, and by legal system, I mean obviously not the civil side because we know they're mm-hmm. going to go there, yeah. but the criminal side. Is there more, in a very broad and general sense— is there more that than than what happened here 
that prosecutors could do to address the systemic stuff? Well, you know, we need to have a zero tolerance policy for it. That, that, that's first and foremost. You know, so if you, if you start with a zero tolerance policy we, where, where we are not going to ex- accept this behavior, all right, and then you prosecute these cases, a- as a prosecutor, that's really all I can do, all right? I mean, what, you know, what, so what, when you say in the context of the criminal justice system, the, the, the criminal justice system funnels to me. All right. At the end of the day, I am the criminal justice system. Mm. Uh, and so the, the entire criminal justice system, you know, law enforcement officers, court officers, whatever, when crimes are committed, they funnel into DA's offices across the country. So at the end of the day, it's up to prosecutors and district attorneys across this country to have a zero tolerance policy and to show the world that we mean business and we are not going to stand for this. Closing moments here with Erie County District Attorney John Flynn. We're talking, obviously, about the sentencing of the top shooter yesterday. During the prosecution of this, uh, despite the fact that that may have been, I don't want to say short-circuited, but certainly fast-tracked because of his guilty plea, Mm -hmm. is there stuff that you know that you can share that the public just is not aware of that you think would make a difference in the racial conversation? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, I, I think uh, that, um, well, you know. And if it's stuff you can't share, well, no, no, I, I no, get no. that. Yeah, no, no. I, I, let, 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 let's start from a, a, you know, a 30,000 foot level. All right. You, you have to remember uh, that, that the, as everything COVID played a role in this case, all right, in, in, in the sense that th- this individual, like a lot of kids these days and young people these days, s- spent a lot of time on their computers during COVID. Uh, and, you know, they were not in school. They were, they were Zoom in school. Um, you know, my own kids, imp- my own kids as well, all right? You know, I mean, you know, they, the kids were on their computers at home isolated during COVID. And, and, and this kid was too. Uh, and so, you know, he's, he spent a lot of time on his computer, um, you know, just absorbing the hate that's out there. And, you know, I, you know, it, you know, it, it, it's been talked about, obviously, um, you know, the, the amount of the social media uh, 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 aspect of this and, and what he absorbed, all right, what was, was surprising to me and what I can tell the public is that just the enormous amount of it, all right, just the enormous amount of time that he spent on the computer um, in, in, his, in, in his home. And again, you know, I, I said, I don't know the parents um, you know, I, you know, but you know, we, you know, and I hate to blame everything on COVID because I'm not blaming it on COVID, obviously. But and, and, I, and I can't, you know, you, you can't always blame the parents either. All right, but you know, what were his parents doing? How, how, how did his parents not know what was going on in his room on his computer? Uh, that and that that that's what troubles me as, as a father of five. That's what troubles me the most here. Okay, Not, I mean a lot of things trouble me, but um, <laughs> um, you know I'll, I'll, I'll say a lot here. Okay, is that you know I, you know you as a parent need to know what your kid is doing on a computer in his room. To your mind, <laughs> and I realize this might be speculation and, and not fact, Your Honor, but to your mind, does the fact the parents were not there yesterday in the courtroom indicate anything? No. 
Uh, because again, they, they might've been th- thinking to themselves, you know, the, the fearing for their safety. I mean, you saw someone yeah. lunge at him, you okay. know? So, I mean, you know, yeah, someone could have lunged the parents. I mean, so, you know, yeah, no, it, again, I, I don't know either way. Obviously I have no, I've never communicated with the parents at all, nor would I. Um, but I'm, you know, um, if there was any safety element going through their minds, then I, I, I get it. All right. During the remarks yesterday, there was also a lot of talk about how this could have been so much worse. And oh, to man. some degree, it had been previously described that Tops was not his only target. Describe a little bit of that as we close here. Well, it could have been uh, worse from the sense of what happened that day in Tops uh, and his, like, like you said, I mean, he had other targets in mind. All right. He had, he had, you know, he, he, he was looking at other, other areas across the state. Um, you know, again, I, I don't want to get too much in that because the federal case is still pending right All now. Right. All right. Yeah. But, but yeah, it, it, it could have been worse um, as far as, um, you know, other places, but again, those other places are predicated upon the fact about of him getting out of there without getting caught. So, I mean, any any other place that might have been in his mind, he would have had to commit his horror there at Tops, been able to get in his car and drive away before the police got there. So, at the end of the day, the Buffalo Police Department, um, in their in their swiftness in getting there to the scene and diffusing it and getting him in custody, save lives there at Tops and potentially save lives in other places across the state. Last question. You are obviously a prosecutor. You have said earlier in the program that the big takeaway is that this was prosecuted and that he goes to jail, that there is perhaps a deterrent effect there that will keep people from doing this sort of thing again. Beyond that, what's your takeaway? Well, beyond that now, like I said before, the next step is to, um, for the families to get, to get their justice, you know, in civil suits. And so you, you, you hold, you hold, uh, companies and, and other entities responsible for the actions, but moving away from that into a bigger picture is that do we as human beings who have been exposed to this and those who may who may have a little bit of darkness in their heart say to themselves that I'm going to eliminate the darkness in my heart and I'm not going to let it grow and I'm going to love and I, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to embrace a society and a community where we love one another instead of hate one another and that at the end of the day is the ultimate goal. John Flynn, thanks for your remarks today. Thank you, Dave. Erie County District Attorney John Flynn talking, obviously, about <coughs> excuse me, about the um, sentencing yesterday in the top shooting. And earlier we heard the remarks from Judge Susan Egan as well. All of that will be part of a recap program tomorrow, looking at all the events of yesterday. It's what we do here at WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown. I'm Dave Debo. Thanks for listening.